Support the Amigos podcast on Patreon or PayPal and receive cool perks and rad swag. Visit our page at everythingamiga.com support. Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Hey everybody, welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. Today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about Seymour Goes to Hollywood. All right. Aaron, have you been to Hollywood before? Oh God, no. No, I've never been to California. And Mm. I can't ever go to Sacramento now. That's off the chart. I can't go I can't go there, but no, I've never been anywhere near there. What about you? You've been up to Cali. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been to Hollywood before. Yeah, I've been there. I will say I have been shaped like Seymour a bunch, and still I am. So I got That's one thing I got in common with him. Well, I can tell you that of all the places that I've been to in the United States, in these great United States, I would say Hollywood is among the more disappointing places I've been. Why? Um, it's it's trashy. I mean, there's there it's just it's homeless people all over the place, and I'm talking about like downtown Hollywood. You're talking like where downtown, walk, where the Walk of Fame is, yeah. where Man's Chinese Theater is. Man, now. That was cool. It's been, TV. it's been a while since yeah. I've been there. It's been almost 10 years since I was there. No, it's been almost 20 years since I was there. I was there in like 2003. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was, you know, I expected man's Chinese theater. Like you've got this picture of it in your mind, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's super awesome. It wasn't super awesome. There were a lot of like sketchy looking people dressed up as various things, hustling you hard to give them some money. So it was like this like ratty old C-3PO came up to me. He was like elbowing me, wanting a picture and some cash. I was I wanted nothing to do with that. Listen, man, Hollywood's no sack town. You know, this this thing where they, these weird denizens of the night put on character outfits and then try to hustle you for cash, you know, because you, you get, get that in all Times the time. Square and all stuff. You get that all the time. How was this stuff too? allowed to go on? You know, yeah, Disney, yeah. remember Disney was shutting down nursery schools and crap? They had a mural painted on the wall that had Mickey and Goofy on there. This who? This is Goofy. How are you letting some drunk goof dance around in a Mickey Mouse outfit, groping people, and trying to muscle in for some cash? They need to get a sucker down there and slam the door on that crap. What is that? Let me tell you how they do it in England, Aaron. Okay, yeah. so you got your high street. Okay, your high street is pretty much barren. That's your main street. Oh. Okay, all you've got are people that are trying like heck to get off high street and get home. And then you've got random people shuffling around with clipboards, wanting you to take surveys. Okay. So that's the, the, and then in between that, you've got a man who has spray painted his flesh a silver tone, and then he dresses himself in a silver suit, and then he pauses without moving for long stretches of time. Uh And then you're like, oh, that's a weird thing. And then you make a motion to even look at him, and he gestures towards his hat on the ground, wanting to throw money in there because he's had the gall to spray paint himself silver and stand in a, in a, like a stationary pose for a long time. That's England, Aaron. seems like if he moved to gesture to you, put money in his head, he's queering the deal there, and he's moving, isn't he? That's what I That's told what him. you should say. Sorry, you yeah. moved. I'm not doing nothing. Right. I guess right. these suckers need to earn a living, street performers and whatnot. But, I mean, in the old days, street performers, I always thought it was a dude with, like, a fiddle or a tambourine or something. Go out there and sing and dance. I mean, you can at least, at least they're putting something forward. These right. Guys, I don't, I'm not buying this. I don't like the fact that just because you want, they want a picture and you have to pay him. What is that? It's not like you're actually seeing Mickey Mouse. You're not at Disney World. 
You're in an alley behind a Chinese restaurant. I'm not going to pay exactly. a sucker for that. That's a shame, though, because on TV, the Chinese theaters have looked cool. You oh, know, yeah. all the big movies start there and whatnot. Yeah, and I think probably if you if you rewind time, even back in the 70s, like, you know, I'm sure that things were already starting on the downhill slide. Also, it's not even called Man's Chinese Theater anymore. It's like the AMC Ace Hardware Spectacular Movie House or something oh, yeah. like that. Everybody's got to cash in on that crap. I'm yeah. sick of that, too. The Yum Center. What the hell is that? It's get no that, place get I'm that ever out. Going. Yeah, you got that right. Well, still, one of these days I do plan on going out there. You know, I like to look around. Uh, maybe take a studio tour or whatnot, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'll spend the night, <laughs> put it that way. All right, Aaron, I'll tell you where you do want to spend some time, and that's over at everythingamiga.com. Beautiful, man. Let's go. So we've got a, we've got an article here. I read this uh, uh, the other day. This is from our good buddy, the, the, the Flack, Jack Flack, a.k.a. Rob O'Hara. This one, all the blitters, it's Uridium 2. Uh, Boat, have you ever had a chance to play any of the Iridium series? This is a series that people talk about constantly, and I yeah. want to say that we've done one of these games on Amigathon. And I can't remember if it was one or two. I remember being super, super hard, so I want to say it was Iridium 1, because Flack talks about how that one was much more difficult than the second one. You know, I've, I've played Iridium. This was a big deal. I'd always heard about this on the C64, the first one. You know, Iridium. It's the bomb, right? And I remember playing, and I was like, eh, that's not bad. And then uh, they had another one come out on the Amiga, and then you have your Uridium 2. Now, I swear to you, uh, Boat, I have tried this, and I don't remember th- thinking it was any great shakes. Really? because I got, well, I may have just got went out and got slaughtered. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but, you know, after reading this, I may have to try it again, because uh, Flight goes into great vivid detail on what, uh, as the series rolls on, what gets upgraded, what changes. I do like the fact that in the uh, the first, in the Uridium, the, the early one, you have to, uh, there's a mini game to blow up the ship that you've been bombing. And in the later ones, that's a full blown, blown part of the actual uh, <laughs> blowing up of the ship. I, I like the idea of taking out like the big flagship, the Dreadnought. If you've ever played the Dreadnought like, Factor. Right. I was on, just about to on, say that. On the Intellivision or the Atari uh, 5200 computers. Uh, I love that game. It's fun. I, I really dig that game. Uh, and this, but I will say this one plays. It's it's not really that similar. These are mm. a lot faster, and they're really hard. Uh, but uh, an interesting article from the Flagster here. Highly recommend you pop over to everythingamiga.com and check this out. Rob has put up several good articles in the past couple months, all of which are gold, solid gold money boat. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. All right. Why don't we kick it on over to our YouTube channel, Aaron? Right on, man. We had a uh, we th- we had a few things go up this week, uh, Boatster. Uh, let's start off. Well, we've got to start off with me and the Brent. Uh, we're playing this <laughs> this time around. It was four player games. Mm. Uh, this was a contentious episode, Boat. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, this I, was a, th- I could feel the tension in the air yeah, as the episode well, moved forward. Brent, the Brent makes me tenacious. Whenever he's a dumb, and and this time out, he, <laughs> hey, listen, he's not here, so I can fully badmouth him. He's dumb, ignorant, stupid, ill ill informed, uneducated. He when he badmouthed, or he didn't badmouth, but he just said he had basically no opinion on warlords. It wasn't was. I was like, are you kidding me? This is the mother of all of multiplayer games. He wasn't buying it, uh, boat. And then to show his uh, uh, true wackiness, his choice super off road on the NES. Now you're an NES. 
Spudhead from back in the day. Have you played this particular game, Boat? Oh, yeah. I played the heck out of Off-Road on the uh, NES. This and, was my first Off-Road experience. Uh, and what do you... Now, you ha since then, you've played this on multiple platforms and the arcade version, right? Right. Surely, uh, how do you... Where do you stand on this? Well, listen, it is no... It's it's not as good as the Amiga version. Of course, no. it's, it's nowhere near as good as the arcade version. But... If this is the only off-road that you've ever played, I mean, it's like when we talk about all the, you know, like all of the, the Amiga platformers that are not any good. It's like if you never played a real platformer, you'd have no idea that these were bad. It's the same thing with off-road on the NES. Yeah, it's slow. The music's not good. The sound effects are annoying. But if you don't know any different, it's not a bad game because at its core... Off-road is a cool idea, you yeah. know, and, uh, and and you're racing around with your buddies. You're having fun, especially the four-player version. I don't think I ever played the four-player version, but um, but I had a good time with off-road. And um, I think, personally, that if Brent wasn't so hard on your beloved Warlords, you wouldn't have been so hard on his uh, off-road game. Well, listen, but that was a, that was a, an educated well, and well-said argument. So, I mean, I've, I can't fight you on that. You're right. If you've never played any other off-roads... And this is one you got. And like I said it when we talked about it, I didn't think this was absolute double crap, but I just thought it was slow. The sound effects were horrible, and it, I didn't. I thought it was not my favorite version of Outrun. All right, having played the arcade version and worked my way down. All right. Yeah. Uh, I will say the four player is a is a is a cute touch. You know, I'll give it that. And the fact that Rare worked on it, I found interesting. Uh, so yeah. there, so there you go. So anyway, if you want to hear me and Brent scream at each other for 30, 40 minutes, please. Check out four pockets, and clearly people were people were clamoring to hear that because this episode's already blown up, both. You know what I mean? You're uh, up and down like a yo-yo. Oh That's yeah, the way man. it is with ARG. So you know, I've mentioned this last week about the software, but I couldn't stop myself. So uh, our good friend the Flack turned me on to this Exodus boat, and so what did I do? I had to get me some uh, stream action with Exodus, and I did. It was it was uh, gosh two and a half hours of mm -hmm. old DOS action last Friday night. I streamed this bad boy, and it was glorious, glorious. I've never had so much fun playing old crummy DOS games, boat. Yeah, uh, I I watched nearly this whole thing. I did skip around, and for example, I did not watch you play King's Quest. That that <laughs> that did not interest me. But I watched you play a ton of other games that are on here, and man. It was great because number one, you didn't have any technical problems. Yeah. Number two, your setup is beautiful. I mean, your background and everything, your green tinged. And number three, there were a ton of games that got DOS releases that I had no idea, and a lot of them were a lot better than I thought they would be. So yeah, yeah. I agree. It, it when I looked at this list, and Exodus comes out of the bag with a seventeen hundred plus game setup, good to go. All right. And when you scroll down the list of DOS games, you see things in there that you would never have thought were on DOS. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're in this sort of Amiga bubble, and it's been so long since I sat down and really looked at DOS games. It's funny to see what's released, uh, and it, it was we, so we had a good time. We went and looked at old Amiga games that were on DOS. And are they any good? We went, you know, we played some old we, King's Quest one I hadn't played for decades. Someone suggested the, the, that we the gave thing it a that shot, was the most you know? surprising to me was Zool when you played Zool. Yeah. Because I figured Zool, Zool would just yeah. was it Zool two? Yeah. Okay. Because I had I to check. That, 
Yeah, that's that's true. Zulina, I forgot about that. Um, so I figured that that would be pretty much a straight port of the Amiga version. But man, they redid the graphics like nothing on this. I mean, Zul looks amazing. He looks incredible. Now the game is still, you know, Zul. But yeah. man, if you want to see a good looking Zul, uh, check out Zul Two for the PC. It was good looking game. It was. I'd I'd not played this on the PC before. And I have to say, I was also impressed. Anyway, if you want to watch a, a big goof. Hang out with some of his buddies in chat and play a crap with a DOS games. There you go. You're in business. Next on the docket, Bright Castle plays Up and Down and Buggy Boy. Have you have you caught any of Rob's uh, stuff this week? So this I have not watched this yet. I plan on watching this this evening. Actually, yeah, I haven't seen this one either. Rob did a couple. Let's talk. Let's go ahead and talk about both his offerings this week. When I, I didn't this one I didn't see, but I did see uh, the. Uh, Super Mario Brothers. Now this boat. Did you catch any of this one? Holy smokes! I haven't seen this one either. He's got stuff coming out the Yin Yang Man. Rob, now I, I was so happy to see him do this. First, he played the uh, Great Guyana Sisters. That was mm. uh, that they convert. They used that like a mod to make it Mario. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then right. then he loaded up that crazy Mario version that came out a couple years ago. Okay. Now, I had not seen anything but just some, like, little bit of video on this. Like, I didn't think it was a complete game. I thought there was, like, a couple levels, you know? He plays, like, through levels. He plays, the C64? Like, yeah. It's right. A com- it's, a, it's a complete game, and Rob goes to work wow. on this thing. Uh, and now, and he has to, he, he, we had fun making fun of him for failing, but once he reset the machine, he was killing it in there. So clearly he had to, I think he had the PAL or NTSC, something was cockeyed. But he did great. We had a mm-hmm. lot of fun uh, watching this stream. And then at the end of it, Rob breaks out his old BBS notes. Look at this. And <laughs> these oh, are all of his old That's phone great. numbers and crap. And we talked, it's a BBS chat uh, in there. So much fun. So if you want a good time, that sounds kind of creepy. His, his number's not on the wall. But if you want to have a good time, watch the stream. <laughs> I, I strongly recommend you check out uh, Sprite Castle Play Super Mario. And I'm sure Up and Down and Buggy Boy is also good. Like I said, I haven't got to see that one yet. Uh, real quick, Boat, I, I had to laugh when I saw you pop this up. Boat's Guide on How to Play Nick Faldo's Golf. What do you want to talk about this one? There is nothing out there about how to play the ECS-OCS version. Though. Uh, the, the CD32 version is pretty self-explanatory. So I just sat down, had a couple drinks. And decided, man, I'm going to do it. If you want to check that out, you're welcome to. Very good. I, I, I did check this out. And it, I was I was amused. Let's just put it that way. I was also amused. That you just, despite the fact that we were done with Nick Faldo, you couldn't stay away. and go in there and get a little more Nick Faldo action. So that's pretty much all we got this week. I wanted to touch on, while we're here, though, you know, uh, we as we're, as we're recording this episode, it is uh, December 11th, and... In 24 hours, almost to the hour, it will be time for the International Computer Club. Uh, this will be a, uh, uh, an offering we're going to put up on Twitch uh, tomorrow. If you feel like watching it, it'll be coming on at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard. Again, that is December 12th. Uh, this should be a good time, uh, and we should have a lot of fun. We've got a, a full-packed uh, schedule of stuff videos, uh, speakers, and uh, I would love to see everyone show up. If you're a member of our Discord, uh, you can show up uh, in Zoom and actually join in on the Computer Club, and if you are not or you just want to uh, 
pop in on uh, Twitch, you're more than welcome to, to do that as well. So if you're in our Discord, I'll be popping up the uh, the uh, tw- the uh, uh, link for Zoom in there tomorrow afternoon. And again, if you don't feel like popping in that way, you can always catch us on Twitch. We would love to see you there, Boat. Absolutely, man. And do, do you All want right. to touch on uh, your, your Neil's offering this week while we're talking about it? Well, you know, this week, Aaron, we talked about, you get this, there is a BBC uh, browser-based emulator out there, okay? That is, that's sort of old news at this point. Everybody's yeah. got a browser-based emulator. But this one, Aaron, you can have it generate a code and tweet at a particular bot, and the bot will output the results of your program live on Twitter. What do you think about that? I don't explain how that would work. Okay. Dumb guy. So it's like if I say 10 print Amigos rules, yeah. 20 go to 10. Yeah. And then I I and then I hit a button inside the web-based emulator that generates like a hash. Yeah. And then if I put that hash in tweet in Twitter and then I at the uh the BBC microbot, it will output a screen running that program in Twitter. That seems like it could be uh, dangerously misused, Boat. Well, that sounds like the internet, man. Everything's dangerously misused all the time. Well, so <laughs> anyway, we talk about Neil's uh, Neil's formative years growing up with the BBC Micro, and uh, we talked about one of the founders of the Raspberry Pi, whose name is Eben or Eben. It's it's possible that I mispronounced his name on the show. I'm not I like Eben. That's a cool yeah, name. Yeah, it does sound cooler now that I say it that way instead of the other way that I said it on the show. Anyway, uh, we also talk about the Sega Venus prototype, Aaron. This thing is the the original name of the Sega Nomad. Now, the Nomad is is something that you called me out on on the Discord the other day. You know, I don't like to uh, to really go after you guys when you get something wrong on ARG. I usually just let it slide. But man, the first time I get it wrong on on this week in retro, you were on me like butter on toasted bread. You were like the the Nomad man. The Nomad was Sega's foray into handheld gaming. It wasn't just the Game Gear. And so you're right, of course. You're right. I bow to your superior knowledge. The Nomad, of course was uh, Sega's attempt to breathe some new life into its 16-bit portfolio, um, and uh, it failed miserably uh, because there was nobody that wanted it. Now, Aaron, did you ever actually see a Nomad in stores? I've never seen one or used one, uh, uh, so I guess they weren't real popular. Uh, th- just to get back, whenever I said that about your show, it's so rare that I'm right about something. I had to just cry. I had to say something. But I'm giving you a hard time. That's man. You're, easy, you're very complimentary towards yeah, that, this weekend retro. That, you're, that, that's an easy one to miss because uh, you know the, this is a thing that took a full Sega cartridge in a handheld, and it was that's goofy it by is today's goofy. standards. At the time, it was a pretty it was pretty neat. Yeah, uh, but uh, I think at the time that came out, the Sega was sort of becoming old news at that time. Uh, the the Genesis. Well, they, they they'd already launched the Saturn at that point. Right. So everybody knew knew the sun was setting on this stuff. And uh, I remember seeing them in cutout over at Kmart. It's funny we talk about on the show, and you'll know this being a frequent Kmart goer, mm. is that you know when when stuff is new, when video games and stuff is new, they keep it either behind glass or they had these sort of plastic things where you could spin them around, you could see the backs of the games. But as soon as stuff hits cut out, as soon as it gets discounted, all that security stuff goes out the window. They dump yeah. those things into bins right in the middle of the floor. They put $20 price tag stickers on them, and, and they want rid of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's if you still live on cut out, that, that they were, what were they selling for? Do you recall? It was $20. $20. $20. Bucks. 
Don't yeah. you wish you'd bought a couple dozen of those now? Absolutely, man. I wish I'd bought them out because I, you know, aside from their their current value, I just love to have one kicking around. I think it's a pretty cool idea. A portable Genesis, I'll take it. Well, I mean, by today's standards, though, they they've been obsolescent quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, with I mean, who wants to carry around a crap load of Genesis carts in their in, the, in their backpack to play this thing? But yeah, you know, still at the time, I'm sure it was neat. But eh, much like other Sega's hand, uh, other Sega handhelds, it just sort of went away. That's true, yeah. So, like every show, you can check out This Week in Retro on your favorite podcatcher, or you can listen to the show on YouTube on the This Week in Retro channel. Very good. All right, buddy. Aaron, let's talk Amiga News. Oh, Amiga News. <laughs> Very <laughs> All right. So, Aaron, we're going to start things off this week with something that is not directly related to the Amiga, but I guarantee you there's some Amiga content in this. This is the Story Bundle. Storybundle.com, Aaron. I cannot resist books. Ebooks, paper books, any kind of books. I'm a big reader, and I know you're a big reader too, Aaron. There's nothing like settling down. Yeah, you are. Man, you used to go over to David Hall's house all the time and do nothing but just sit and read old ratty paperbacks. <laughs> I know your youth. I know your experience. <laughs> you out of your mind. So anyway, there is, this is a bundle of 30 or I'm sorry, 95 books, 95 books in this bundle where, uh, and these cover all the different eras of gaming from the beginning, all the way up into the present day. Now I mentioned the, uh, some of my favorites are the Jeremy Parrish, uh, works books, the Game Boy works books, uh, the NES works, but this also features two books by our good friend, Rob Flack O'Hara, both his book, Commodore and Commodorkier are featured in this bundle. So for 30 bucks, Aaron, you can get yourself 95 full length ebooks, including the guide to classic adventures, which is sure to have some Amiga stuff in it. And if you're looking to cross over to the dark side faster than light, the Atari ST and the 16 bit revolution by Jamie Landino, who also wrote a book about the Atari 8 bits. That's quite good. So anyway, check that out. If you are a reader and, uh, and it's, it's a great deal, a you once know, in a lifetime deal. I'm looking through these books. First of all, I've, we've both read, uh, uh, Commodore and Commodore here. Both are great. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying it because I know Robbery's here. I did, I, I'd never met Rob when I met, read Commodore, and it was awesome. It's, 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 that book spoke to me as an old, kind of shady kid. I love that book. And Commodore was great, too. And in fact, I like all of Rob's stuff. I'm looking down the list here, though, and I do recognize, believe it or not, a couple of these. I see the Dungeons and Desktops in here. That's a Matt Barton book. If you are uh, have uh, whatever the art, I think it's his uh, outfit's called uh, Armchair arcade or something he's been around forever mm-hmm. uh, him he he also used to contribute on shane armor Row's old show uh and so that's i know he's a, he puts out quality stuff i'm looking at a few of these it, like there's there's some good looking stuff in here what'd you say this thing costs both this is this is one of those name your own price type deals so oh, you yeah? can pay more for it if you want but for the low, low price of 30 bucks, you get every single one of these books, and they are DRM-free. They come in both Mobi and EPUB formats. What I did was I sent them all over to my Kindle because I'm a big Kindle guy. Yeah. But if you want to just read on your desktop or if you've got, like Rob has, he's got a designated Android tablet that does nothing but e-reader functionality. So you can do it that way, too. Very good. That looks great. If you're into e-books, that's your boy right there. Yeah, man. All right, Aaron. Coming up next, we have... Our uh, good buddy, uh, let's see, I've actually lost my place here. Which good buddy is it, Aaron? Neil, our uh, good buddy this, Neil. Our good buddy Neil. This is a uh, live launch party, Aaron. I, wa- I was this here. Is, 
this is all about the Checkmate Mini, the biggest news in the world of retro computing as of right now. Uh, the Checkmate Mini is Stephen Jones' a sophomore effort at producing an Amiga case. He came out with the Checkmate Maxi last year, <laughs> the, uh, the, the do-it-all wonder that fits an A500, gives it all kinds of expansion room, plus it, uh, it, you know, there's, a, there's a case for the keyboard. Um, this thing is the same thing except smaller. So instead of housing an A500, this thing, you, you've got lots of options. It can either A, do the Unamiga, which I... Oh, no, I'm sorry. It can't do the Unamiga. No. It does the new... It's got the mini new... Mini Unamiga, the, yeah. the Unamiga ITX. Uh, this thing will also fit a Mister. It will fit a Raspberry Pi. Whatever you've got laying around, you can chuck it in the Checkmate, and it will go. He sells all kinds of different adapters and mounting kits and things like that. So this thing has just launched, uh, and I have no doubt that this thing is going to be funded. Oh, yeah, uh, it is yeah. very, very close uh, to its uh, its goal. It has raised fifty one thousand four hundred thirty nine dollars so far. He only wants sixty six thousand bucks. To me, that's not a large amount of money, given the fact uh, that this is a quality product. I mean, this is not nothing against the three D printers of the world, but you know, three D printed stuff has a certain kind of look to it. This is fully like professional level injection molded. This looks like it could be sold at any store at any time. And Stephen Jones, you know, he's just an A-plus stand-up guy. Uh, we were talking about this on the show. You know, he could have easily licensed all the backboards and stuff like that so other people couldn't use them in their projects. But, you know, he all of the research that he's doing to mount these various, um, you know, ITX-based systems in the Checkmate, he's you know, he's opened all that stuff up. So if you have a case and you want to incorporate some of this stuff – you know, all that stuff is available to you. So Stephen Jones, just a stand-up guy, he's in it for the community. He's not in it to make a million dollars. You know, this is something that if you have a small system and you're looking for a house for it beyond that sort of, you know, generic Mr. Case, which there's nothing wrong with, this could be something that, that might interest you. You know, I watched this live. I caught a good chunk of it uh, towards the end there. And, uh, of course, your boy Neil was on there doing his magic. And Stephen was on there. And uh, you know, the, the, here's here's why you can ask for sixty six large and not worry because they're going to get their money. Uh, because Neil, everyone loves Neil, everyone loves Stephen, and they are also both fully trusted. And so, yeah. it, there's no doubt this isn't one of those like, eh, maybe it'll ship, maybe it'll be okay. It's a piece of crap. It's going to be solid gold money. You know that. Now, mm -hmm. the bigger question, and I was debating some people uh, somewhere on this was. Uh, um, is this the, unlike the last offering? Is this thing worth the uh, 180 pounds or whatever they're asking for it? And I mean, in terms of, is it worth that in terms of what it costs to get it to market? Where absolutely, but I mean, what are your options that, for mini ITX? There's a lot more options in that in that arena. Now, That's true. Now some are just as expensive. Some options are more expensive, and some options are way way less expensive. So a lot of it, this is, you know, again, this is that kind of boutique area where you want to have this real custom cool guy gimmick for your little computer board. Uh, I'm an old hack, hacker type from way back. Most of my computer cases are rusty. I got the door hanging off that sucker because I'm always in there tinkering. This stuff doesn't really appeal to me all that much, but I can see the appeal. But it doesn't do it for me. But I can certainly see how other people that want to have something nice for their mister or whatever. I mean, if you spent the money to get a mister, I guess you don't mind spending the money to make it 
have a nice house, you know. Get yeah, I mean, I, I will say that that is sort of the one disappointing thing about the whole Mister Package is when you look at that sort of lame-looking square with the three buttons. I mean, what are we doing here? That's three hundred pounds, you know. I want something that looks a little bit. It trends toward the PS Five. Make it look space age. Make it look cool. Make it look different. And that's what this case can do. And let's face it, if you've got the jack for a Mister, you've got the jack for a Checkmate Mini. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're probably right. Some people play in a different, they got a different realm of wide than the rest of us do. Yeah, man. But uh, still, the, these look cute, and so I'm, I'm sure they'll do great with them, I have no doubt. Absolutely. All right, coming up next, Aaron, my personal favorite Amiga show on YouTube has just released its second episode, and it's called The Amiga Show. Listen, if you're listening to The Amigos podcast right now, you owe it to yourself to turn this podcast off, travel over to your oh. computer, Look at YouTube and go to the Amiga Show Episode 2. This thing, it took all the things that I loved about Episode 1 and made it even better, Aaron. Um, this thing is produced by Anthony Jarvis, uh, and uh, this is the uh, you know friend of the show. And this is the only Amiga show, as far as I know, on YouTube that's made entirely on Amigas. Um, and what this is, it's a half-hour show, so it's not going to take too much out of your time. It's a magazine review. It's a game review, and my personal favorite thing, Aaron, is he takes you through an Amiga. It's almost like a virtual gallery where he plays some soft music, and he shows different works of art produced on the Amiga. You know, you scroll up and down, and it's just such a relaxing experience. You know, there is an old uh, BBC art appreciation show that's hosted by this nun named Sister Wendy. And that's what this show reminded me of. You know, when he goes into the gallery and just the soft music is playing, I just, you know, I felt so relaxed. I love the way that he does his magazine reviews. You know, he's he's sort of witty. It's sort of tongue-in-cheek. He talks about how, you know, this was the second issue of Amiga World, and there still wasn't any any software to talk about. <laughs> so a lot of the articles were just about, like, you know, even if you can't buy any software for your Amiga, you should probably buy stock in Commodore. That would have been a bad idea. <laughs> uh, and, and so, Good try. Anyway, you know, um, I have nothing but good things to say about the Amiga show. Have you had a chance to check out episode two yet? No, I, have, I didn't know it's even popped up until I saw it when I got the news up here. So I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it. I love the first episode. And, uh, yeah, I, I will say the turnaround on this one was surprising because the way he talked, these things took forever to make. <laughs> so well, he, he's he's aiming for once a month. And so he's sort of, you know, he's he's sticking to that. I will say that he's reviewed the very first commercially released game for the Amiga, which, as you can probably expect, is a clone. Monkey Business, Aaron, is the name of it. We're going to have to cover that sometime on the show because, you know, we, you love Donkey Kong. That's true. Uh, and uh, I love uh, ports of Donkey Kong and so, or, you know, clones of Donkey Kong famously. And so, you know, I want to check out some Monkey Business. Looks like a million bucks, both to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I, I, this is a must-watch. I can't wait to see it. Uh, next up, we go back to our friend Neil again, Aaron. And Neil's getting all the billing here on Amigos this week because he's produced another Amiga video. This is part three and the final part of his series of videos all about the Amiga 600. As you might recall from his first video, he talks about how the Amiga 600 was a huge disappointment when it was first released to him. Uh, he's gotten one. He's restored it. He's put new caps on it. He's put all of the upgrades, Aaron, all the upgrades. He's got the, the Witcher board. He's got the compact flash. He somehow finds a use for that useless PCMCI adapter on the side. Uh, and basically, 
his results may surprise you. I don't want to give away the ending, but uh, it's possible that his mind could have been changed on the Amiga 600. And he's joined by several guest uh, stars on this episode, including Pixel Vixen, who talks about uh, what the Amiga 600 is good for for people who are creative, you know, that are artists. And then there's another guy whose name escapes me uh, that is a uh, YouTuber of some renown. And he talks about his top three games on the Amiga 600. So you can check that out, too. And then he invites over Matt from Matt Fixes Stuff. His name might be Mark. I don't know. Uh, and uh, they they actually they just sit down, they play some games together, and they talk about it. So if you're into the Amiga 600 at all, or if you're just an Amiga fan, this is a must-watch. It goes without saying. You know, Neil, this is the last video, Aaron, that is going to come out of the old cave. Aaron, yeah. uh, Neil is moving into his new location, his new digs. So if you want one more fond farewell to the original cave, this is the place to do it. You know, I watched this video, and... In fact, if you're watching uh, the stream right now, Neil has a problem with his uh, IDE uh, Compact Flash gimmick teetering a little bit and shorting out some stuff. And he talks about it. And uh, when he put this thing together, it was one of the first things I thought. I was like, you know, I would put a rubber foot or something on the bottom of that thing Mm -hmm. to keep it from tipping over. Or really, what I would do is use a cable. That's one of the things he's using the cable. You don't have to worry about that happening. Uh, but sure enough, it tipped over and shorted some stuff out. So he did, he, in, tr- in true uh, sketchy tech style, he just put a bunch of tape on the bottom of it. <laughs> he didn't worry about the actual wobble. So I salute Neil for that. He gets a ske- uh, sketchy tech thumbs up for that uh, sketchy move. Yeah, but, and, uh, and another thing that he talks about is that people talk about WHD load, like you need an 060-4000 to be able to run it right. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, as long as you've got enough RAM in there, like he said, he had the 4 meg upgrade in there. I guess he ha- actually has an 8 meg upgrade, but he couldn't get that to work with the PCMCIA simultaneously. That's a known thing. Yeah, that's, right, uh, they're right. all like that. Yeah, and so, but he said that he didn't have any trouble at all with the quit key or anything like that most of the games. Now, of course, the games that require a faster processor you're going to have trouble with, obviously, but the whole myth that you need to have some monster machine to be able to competently run WHD load and use the custom quit keys and stuff, busted. No, right. it's not. That's not a myth. That's a fact. Because I know. I've done it. Uh, you, There are plenty of games that require a decent amount of memory WHD load to work. I mean, it's just, that's well, just that's the way it is. Well, that's because they required a decent amount of memory and, you know, a certain right, processor saying, to run in general. It's not a myth. It, no one said it was across the board. It's just, but, and, and so it's to have a listen, comfortable listen, amount it, of memory. It, it's like saying if you're, if you, if you want to run Armageddon or whatever, like it doesn't matter what kind of, you know, A600 you have, you're not going to be able to run it, but it hasn't, that has nothing to do with WHD load itself. No, what the myth doesn't. is, is that you can't run WHD load and use the custom quit keys unless you have a mega machine. The 600 won't cut it. And I've that, never even heard, I've weird. never heard that myth. You're, I mean, I've you never, don't hang out on EAB enough, man. No. No, I don't. I don't hang out there ever. I will say it's a shame that you've got an eight uh, an eight meg uh, expansion. You can only use half of that. Always bugged me. The PCI, the PCMCA uh, slot. That's one of the drawbacks from using it. I will say he uses it for just about the only good thing it's for, which is transferring files back and forth. You know, mm-hmm. with the on the uh, from your PC. I mean, that just is. Think a, about think about what else they could have put in there. If they had just put an SD card slot in, I mean, it would have been so much. It, well, that wasn't invented, so there's a. <laughs> Aside from that, <laughs> brilliant boat. You, you should be an engineer. But yeah, this was interesting. Uh, you know, I, the six hundred. Listen, I, 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 I'm not going to spoil the ending either. But I will say this: Can you make a six hundred competently run modern stuff? Yes, 
That's it. There you go. That's it. Uh, and you know he can do it. He's the man. He was, oh, he's yeah. got all the resources and all the know-how. So he makes it happen, but I enjoyed it. Now, our final story this week, Aaron, kind of came out of the blue. This comes to us from our good friend, Amiga Love, uh, fellow uh, NTSC Amiga 1000 owner. And uh, he talks about he, re- he recently had a need for an external drive for his A1000. And uh, and he dug it out, and it turns out it was a high-density drive. And as everybody knows, you can't use high-density drives with the Amiga. Well, guess what? You can. And, and of course, this is an Amiga with 1.3. I guess the, the later operating systems did allow you to use a, a high-density drive. So what he has done is he has put, he's made a patch for 1.3. He's patched the track disk dot device file so that it would speak both double density and high density. So there is a tool called Track Disk HD that allows you to uh, to use uh, 1.3 with a double density disk drive, Aaron. You know, I saw this, and this is that's great, but I, I've never heard this either. By the way, uh, I don't. I've never tried. In fact, it never even occurred to me uh, to do it, and. Uh, one would wonder. Well, I mean, I, this. I mean, with a high density disk, you could put more crap on there. But I mean, uh, for my the things that interest me, it, it does. It wouldn't really do much for me because you know you can't. It's not like you can slap. It's not like you can take both discs of Lemmings and slap it on one disc and stick it in there. Not yet, anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So to me, it's just. I mean, you can store it. It's cool. It's neat. But I mean, it, you know, not my. It's not going to help me in, unfortunately. But it's it's still kind of neat that someone's tinkered around with. With 1.3, I was surprised to see it. I will say that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just throwing that out there, and that's going to wrap up this week's Amiga News. Aaron, it's time to go to Hollywood. Relax. Bodie goes to Hollywood. That's right. (laughs) Very good, boat. Well, let's all go to Hollywood here for the strange, the curious tale, boat of Seymour goes to Hollywood. Now... Uh, I'll ask you what I always do. Both is this the first time you'd ever heard of or played this game? I had heard of Seymour as I was doing some Oliver Twins reading and yeah. some just general dizzy reading. That's what I do most of the time in the can. So I take out you know some some good uh, Amiga history reading material, <laughs> and uh, so I have come across uh, the uh, the the tale of Seymour before. You know, I I'd never heard of this goof. Uh, in fact, if I'd seen screenshots, I would just—I wouldn't think it was a uh, Seymour game. I can tell you that. I didn't realize how uh, this guy got around so much either. So, <clears throat> Seymour goes to Hollywood. This came out in '92, uh, and of course, in a stunning turn of events, this is a game that, you, if you couldn't already tell, published by Codemasters. Not—not <laughs> <laughs> not hard to figure that out. What is hard to figure out is who developed this thing. It's it's not that hard to figure out. It's Optimus and not Optimus Prime. These guys worked on a ton of games, boat on the on the uh, on the Amiga. Now I'm gonna just throw a couple out here. But they worked on a on Big Nose the Caveman. I oh like really? That now that yeah. that is an NES game, also. <clears throat> oh, you're kidding me. That one no. got ported. Oh, I yeah, would never code, have guessed code, that one. This this was one of those Codemasters games that was released uh, without the the Nintendo seal of approval. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, they uh, they also worked on Mean Machines. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, pro bo- I, and this one I love this. They worked on Pro Boxing Sim, Pro Power Boat Sim, SAS Combat Sim, and Pegasus. And then of course they also worked on a whole crapload of Dizzy games. Now this may surprise you. 
they worked on Fantasy World Dizzy, Spellbound. Uh, and they also worked on Quick Snacks, Fast Food. They put a bunch of, a bunch of the Dizzy stuff. So these guys did a lot of work on that stuff. Uh, this particular game was coded by Shane O'Brien. As far as far I as I, you were, I swear, I thought you were going to say Shane Armonroe. Shane Armonroe, no, <laughs> no, he did code some stuff, but not this. Uh, this is all Shane uh, is credited with. Uh, the graphics were done by Brian uh, Hartley, who worked on a bunch of the Dizzies and and also worked on a game I really liked, Rockstar Ate My Hamsters. Remember that mm-hmm. one, mode? Yeah. And the music on this one was the uh, ever-present Alistair Brimley, or Brimble, Brimley, <laughs> Ed Brimley. Alistair you know, Brimble. I, I, w- I want to take a quick break, Aaron, yeah. and, and the, because I want to tell you there's an Alistair Brimble update. You know, me and Mr. Brimble are friends on Facebook. That no means kidding. that we're pretty tight. Yeah. And uh, he posted a photo today. Team 17 actually sent him a package, a, a sort of like an award package for being with them for 30 years wow and, and this there was there was a uh there was a t-shirt there was a uh a balloon involved a balloon um, yeah uh, <laughs> no gold a, watch is what you're saying an inflated balloon i'm looking at it right now there's a there's a tea mug a coaster this is what you get when you associate yourself with team 17 since 1990 1990 through 2020 the spirit of independent games so congratulations alistair yeah. i know you're listening this is uh, congratulations on a job well done. Sticking with Team Seventeen all those years. By the way, you're all man. Let's go over just yeah. a couple of the things I picked out from his enormous catalog of music. He did music for Agony, a bunch of the Alien Breeds, the Assassin games, the Body Blow games, the Mortal Kombat, the Lion King, Project wow. X, Super Frog, Primal Rage, tons, tons of stuff we've looked at. Mm-hmm. He's been all over. Uh, so that you had a, a pretty good crew on this one. Uh, this is an ECSOCS, of course, and this got converted uh, a lot, actually, uh, as you would think it would. Uh, you've got your uh, Amstrads, your Atari STs, your C64s, your ZX Spectrums, uh, and, uh, of course, you've got, a, I believe this also, got a DOS port. Uh, so you've got a pretty good uh, cross-section of goodies there. This did have different names. Uh, on the C64, for whatever reason, this was called Seymour at the Movies. So there you go. Go figure. So hmm. let's address the the uh, dinosaur, the elephant in the room here, Boat. If you take a good look at Seymour, take a good hard look, <laughs> all right, what does he look like? I would say that he, he bears more than a passing resemblance to Dizzy the Egg. That's right. That's exactly right. Now, we've played a couple of these Dizzy games, all mm-hmm. right, as you know, and Dizzy games often involve Dizzy walking around collecting crap to try to solve puzzles, right? True. In this game, Seymour walks around collecting crap trying to solve puzzles, right? Also, the people that made this made a bunch of the Dizzy games. So I'm sure a lot of people (laughs) know this story, but if they don't, I think I find it kind of amusing. So this started out as a Dizzy game. I mean, the whole time it was a Dizzy game, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, Optimus had uh, an idea what direction they wanted to go in, and they went that way. Well, for, for, for whatever reason, uh, our good buddies, the Oliver Twins, who you've interviewed in a, in a glorious interview available on our uh, YouTube channel, mm-hmm. if you want to see Boat talk to the famous Oliver Twins, um, they looked at what was going on here, and they didn't like it. Uh, they didn't They didn't approve. Because and this is just what I've read, I, and I, I've cited a couple of sources, YouTube and Moby, a couple other places, come out and said that the Oliver Twins didn't like the fact that uh, Dizzy was 
in the real world. I'd read that too, yeah. They didn't like that. They didn't like the fact he was talking to like people, like humans and stuff. They didn't like that. This was no good. And so uh, they removed their their character from the game. They were like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're not letting you release this with Dizzy. Well, what you had here was an almost completed game. Okay, and so what they did was they're like, well, okay, uh, we're going to alter this so we can release it. And that's exactly what they did. Um, they added the the slight differences that make Seymour look different from Dizzy. Can you can you name those differences? But I mean, he's got well, big arms and feet. I mean, <laughs> you, you you take a look at Dizzy and you're like, could you possibly make this character look dorkier? Yeah. Yeah, and he also also what they did was make him sound like a hick. Right. Did you notice when he talks? <laughs> he sounds like Gomer Pyle. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. Now, you would think that we were burying Seymour here, but in actuality, I kind of like Seymour in a weird way. Yeah, he's, got, he's got a charm much like Gomer Pyle. He does. He does. He's got, he's a, got certain a charm about him. He's got, he, he actually does, and he looks so stupid. I mean, Dizzy looked kind of dumb. Right. This guy looks real dumb. But it actually sort of works in a weird way. Just for, I'm, I'm talking about just the character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what is this game? Well, you are uh, you start off, of course, as Seymour, and Seymour goes to Hollywood. E- effectively, uh, he's he's going to be in a movie. So he right he when he gets there, the the studio's boss has taken a vacation, and he's taken the key to his safe which has the film scripts in it. And so the whole point of this wacky adventure is to get the key to getting that safe to get the scripts out so that Seymour can make his film. Now, if you look at Seymour, the first thing that comes to your mind isn't, this guy looks like a movie star. But also (laughs) the plot of this is so stupid that that's also part of the charm. Right away when you play this, your guy gets out of a stretch limo and is instantly recognized and asked for his autograph. That Mm. means, and so that right there, play that was like, yeah. I'm playing someone important here in Hollywood. Right. I'm playing Seymour, the movie star, you know. What were your initial thoughts on this uh, wacky game boat when you fired it up? Um, It, it was just, you know, I, I'm playing a dizzy game. You know, you can't get away from the fact that this is a dizzy game. It's funny. One thing that I was thinking about is, is you think about what are the genres that different countries have brought to the world? Okay, so let's start with our homeland, the United States. So I'd say that if you're thinking of, you know, what genre is truly originated here in the United States, I would say that the first person dungeon crawler, like Wizardry, Bard's Tale, games like those, those, you know, born and bred here in the United States. Now, of course, other people have done them since, but that's the you know, that's something that's uniquely ours. Um, Japan, of course, you've got the space shooter, you get Space Invaders, Galaga. All those types of games originated in Japan. What England has graced the world with is the platforming adventure game with limited inventory. That is what that is what they have given us. That's what they've given the world. And this is exemplified through the Dizzy games and by extension, the Seymour games. And so that's what I was thinking. You know, this is this is a game where in 1992, you still have three slots in your inventory, okay? You still have three slots in your inventory, and you are expected to pick up and drop items and remember where these items are and go back and forth 
and through this through this world. And this is something that, you know, when it originally, when the, when the game was, you know, the, the concept was first developed in the early Dizzy games was sort of revolutionary. Um, you know, the, the idea that you could have a platformer and do item manipulation and solve puzzles, an, a new concept. But by 1992, the fact that they didn't choose to really um, bring the genre forward much at all. I mean, there are, there are certain quality of life improvements over the the original Dizzy games in terms of how that limited inventory is managed, but um, it's uh, I don't know it's it's still more of the same. Um, so really, you know, what I thought of while I was playing Seymour is um, you know this is this is a fantastic Dizzy game that sort of has the spirit of Dizzy. If you are a Dizzy fan, you're going to absolutely love this, but as a game in 1992, does it take advantage of any of the sort of advancements that that other games have had to sort of bring the genre forward? I I, I didn't think so. What did you think? You know, I, I look at this game two different ways. Okay, one, I look at this as a as just a game on the Amiga. Okay, uh, is this a game that I'm going to go play tomorrow? No, I, I, these games don't do it for me. Right, we've played a bunch of these on the on our Sinclair. We played a bunch of one here. It just I I don't I don't like them that much. The, the p- whole puzzle thing and whatnot, and the limited inventory. Now, skip that aside. When I look at this as, as a scrolling adventure game in the in the uh, same uh, area as the Dizzy, I I thought this game was the best of these games we've tried uh, sure. by by yes. a long I shot. Agree. I agree. Uh, it looks good. Now, granted, this is on the Amiga. A lot of those we put on the Spectrum. We've played some on the Amiga, too. It mm-hmm. looks good. It's got a catchy tune. It's got a character that's got pizzazz. I think this guy's mm-hmm. got way more pizzazz than Dizzy. Oh, I would much rather have a beer with Seymour than Dizzy. Any Absolutely. Day the- I, this guy's got a lot of jack. Uh, it, it, I, I think the plot of this is amusing and wacky. Uh, as and I'm, Of course, you guys know me. It's not like I sat here and, and got real, real far in the game. I will say... I found this game way easier and more tolerable than the Dizzy games we've tried. Yeah, remember when we played Treasure Island Dizzy and we were unable to escape the very first screen? Yeah, oh, I remember. Trust me, because when I saw this come up and looked at it, I'm like, oh my God, here we go. Uh, I thought this game, uh, I thought I I had fun on the actual platforming elements. I mean, this is not a platforming game, but just jumping back and forth. Dizzy was so much harder to control. He was so much more fragile. I mean, he's a human egg, I guess. That's part of it. Uh, and I, I didn't think his world, which, by the way, was colorful, but I thought this was a really neat world. And I like the concept of being in Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, especially this this sort of played into your, too, because you're an old movie buff, too, and this this has all the classic properties, you yeah. know, Wizard of Oz, yeah. Frankenstein, yeah, yeah, Tarzan. Yeah. It does. It's, and it's got Flash Gordon knockoff. It's got a uh, uh, a couple of things, you know. And right out of the gate, you get to immediately meet Tarzan. You get to go jumping around the tree houses and stuff. Pretty, pretty neat. Uh, now, uh, is this a perfect game? No. And I can tell you, I was actually both, I was sort of starting to enjoy this on some level. Uh, when I, at, at, as I just started, you know, okay, you get your get a limo, you get your sunglasses, you go over, you talk to the limo, you talk to the doorman, you go through, and then you head out to go and you go and meet Tarzan. I liked all that. That was great. Tarzan says, ooga booga. You don't know what to do. 
Then it happened, and that was the godforsaken studio maze. Mm-hmm. While they thought this was a good idea to put early in the game, and of course you have to na- navigate this thing over and over as you go through right. this game. Right. I hated this. Mm-hmm. Hated. It's. It doesn't make any sense. It, uh, the only reason they would they did it this way was I assume to save. They needed more spaces than they had uh, the ability to generate screens for whoever. I hated it. I don't know I how think you. That they did. I think that they did it to artificially pad the length of the game. You think so? I mean, yeah. Because uh, now, is that a dumb reason? Yes, absolutely. Because all it does why, is yes. it needlessly frustrates the player. Now, of course, once you map out the studio maze. You know, it becomes easier. But the thing is, the studio maze is not something, like you said, that you only have to do once. Yeah. A lot of games, there will be a section where you have to negotiate a maze, and it's just part of the plot of the game. And then once you're done with it, you're done with it. But this one, whenever you go anywhere, your first step has to be the stupid studio maze. Yeah, yeah. A horrible to get. I was just having, starting to get into it, you know. Uh, now, if you take that out, the, on the times I could get around that stupid thing, uh, the puzzles in this I found not nearly as hard as uh, I mean, listen, dumb guy Aaron could figure these things out. Mm-hmm. You know, can I get past Tarzan? Yes. Can I make the elevator work? Yes. You know, can I get past the pirate? Yes, I can do these things. You know, and that made it more fun because I right. wasn't totally frustrated perpetually. Right. You know, now I, I couldn't like figure games, out everything. <laughs> I like games that make you feel clever. And right. and this game does, you know, don't make the, pu- and again, it's the whole, like being familiar with the genre, you know, it's, it's the, the puzzles in this, I found to be delightful actually, you well, know, I, like I, are they, because I mean, honestly, I don't, I, I'm not a puzzle guy to me. Here's the way I looked at it. The other puzzle games, uh, uh, punish my ignorance. Whereas this one, it just sort of put the puzzles out there. And I didn't feel like a total moron because they were sort of logical. You know? I think I just have a low bar, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, and I watched some, I watched some playthrough footage of past well past the point where I got and the puzzles didn't get any more stupid. I mean, you give the bike the the leather motorcycle gang grease guy a leather jacket. You give, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's not complicated. Now, you know, it gets it gets more complicated as you go. Uh, this thing has uh it's uh, I don't know what the average Dizzy's playthrough time is, but I thought this uh, stretched on pretty well. Uh, I mm. think you could get a lot of mileage out of this. And this is one of those games, Boat, is it this uh, exploration uh, uh, puzzle game that I can see why it worked. It appeals to those kids who want an adventure. You can see why these characters are so uh, endearing and so popular because these happy characters, you're with them on their adventure, you're helping them, Everything's upbeat and cheery, and it seems like a glorious good time for a young fellow or or, or lady. And you can see why these got over and why they're still popular today. Uh, I can't really think of anything, like you said, I can't think of an American equivalent to this guy uh, right off the top of my head. Because even a game like, I mean, they're really the closest thing I can come up with. You know, I really can't. I mean, it would be more like a point-and-click game than what anything else. Right. I, can't, you know. I don't think that this genre exists anywhere outside of, you know, Codemaster Studio. I mean, it really is unique. You know, people in the chat named a ton of different franchises that England has come up with. And I didn't say that England had never come up with other, you know, game concepts, you know, like Wipeout and stuff like that. But, I mean, at its core, Wipeout's a racing game, you know. Right. There's nothing else like Dizzy. I mean, he's truly unique, except for Seymour. But let's, yeah, who's hey, going to do here? There you go. Now, I was looking on Wiki 
to get the scoop when I was looking up what and what happened to cause this to be a Seymour game. And of course, like I said, that they mentioned that the project was 90% complete. Now, apparently, an outfit called Big Red Software was working on this. I don't know if this is that was. Uh, I don't know if this got ported from somewhere to the Amiga or or how it worked. But they were 90% through when they when they canceled Dizzy in this thing, and so they had to come up with a name for this guy. You were just you were just reminding me of this. Uh, so they basically went after they uh, changed the way it looks. One of the guys there in the studio saw the graphics and said, "Ah." He looks like a Seymour, and that's where the game came from. Boom! That's that's that it. Was, there was no, there was no. They didn't put out any feelers no in the research. market. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bygone era where you can make you can change the whole mascot of a game just because someone said it looks like a Seymour. Uh, that's but it, funny, but it worked. Um, this game, you know, I looked this up. Just, I wondered what. You know the 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 people that love Dizzy are very passionate, Boat. Yeah, they are. Yokefolk.org. And I wondered how this game, um, how they felt about it. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. with with uh, not only the fact that that uh, Dizzy wasn't in it, but the fact that this game got made and without and the Oliver Twins didn't like the way it turned out because of the real world situations or whatever. And I was actually pretty surprised to see that this game actually is pretty popular. Yeah, uh, and it's it's pretty well thought of, not just review wise, but just in general. People seem like I read a lot of forum posts stuff about it. And people seem to really like this guy uh, Seymour, and he, of course, he ended up being uh, used more and more. Uh, uh, actually, I don't know how if, if you knew this, but he actually no. was in uh, he was in a bunch of games. So you've got this Seymour. One. Seymour yeah. was in a bunch of games. So, okay, get ready. You got. Super Sa- uh, Super Seymour uh, saves the planet. Seymour take one. Stuntman Seymour, Sergeant Seymour, Robot Cop, what? and Wild West Seymour. <laughs> so, like, where are these games? Where did these come out on? Just, these were listed on the wiki. I don't know where they were released, <laughs> but I thought that so, that's insane. That's someone crazy. can look those up for me. See what platforms they're on. Particularly Sergeant Seymour, Robocop. That's the yeah. one. I, I want to see that one. That's what I would like to see. Uh, but uh, Seymour got over, uh, man. And you can see, listen, uh, like I said, as far as these games go, this is my favorite of this genre uh, because I, I can control Seymour. Now, can Seymour die? Yes. Can Seymour get hurt? Yes. Uh, uh, it still got. It, it still has some of the stuff that infuriated me about, uh, a lot of the stuff that infuriated me about the uh, Dizzy games. The inventory mm-hmm. system... You've got you can hold three things and you have to use your button to flip through the inventory. Inevitably, boat. I drop stuff all oh, yeah. the time. Well, especially like when you are going like when you're in the studio maze and yes. you've got to hold down and the button to you end up dropping stuff and it then you get so lost in the studio maze and you can't get back to where you dropped it. Yeah, and- it's so infuriating. Mm-hmm. It's so and what I ended up doing, of course, I have no original thought. So I I watched the guy doing a playthrough and he did this and I thought that makes sense. I basically started taking my junk and just piling it somewhere. The problem is I could I kept forgetting where I put it because of the day right. my, my plan, what I always did was I just I just put everything by the car. I could always get back to the car. And yeah, so, I could never get back. My problem is I'd get I'd go out to see Tarzan and then I would that's when it all went down. Trying to get out I would try to just get back to the actual building. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But now we else, should pro- oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, we Bo. should probably talk about because that that leads me into the the other version of this game, uh, which was released on the on the ZX Spectrum. Did you notice, Aaron, 
that in the Spectrum version, they actually put up signs in the first screen of the Studio Maze pointing out where to go, like this way to Tarzan, no. this, way to, this way back, yeah. So oh, they man. actually made that a little bit easier to negotiate. And if they would have done that in the Amiga version, it would have made things uh, maybe not a lot better, but at least a little bit better. That, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. You know, I I did have a look at the uh, Specky version. You know, I like I like it when Specky stuff also appears on the 16-bit systems to see how it measures up. Right. And uh, uh, (laughs) the Specky, I love, there's something about it, the art in it. It it is appealing with the weird Mm -hmm. colors and stuff. And this game, of course, it looks good. They did a real good job. Yeah. (laughs) This is one of the better looking games. I'm ashamed to say it because it's, you know, it's Seymour, but this really, it's drawn extremely well. The, all of the backgrounds are drawn with care. Uh, Seymour himself looks just, I mean, he's, he's monocolor, but he looks just as good as he does on the Amiga version. They've got all of the, you know, the inventory things are there. The, uh, the rooms are all still named in that, in that sort of the, the British style that I love. Um, there it is. See the signs right I there. I did, man. Yeah. That would have, Oh gosh, where yeah. was that? That could have right. used that big time. So, yeah. so yeah, this was, uh, you know, the Spectrum version. If you have a chance to play that as well as the Amiga version, check it out. You might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I, I will also say that <laughs> amongst the amusing things in this game, uh, there <laughs> everywhere you go, if you look, there are Oscars hidden <laughs> places all mm. over the place. And you, you can know, pick that like up. in real life. Uh, apparently, you have to give that to the... Uh, <laughs> all the actors to give them an Oscar. I like the fact that you get an Oscar or you won't do something unless you get someone else's Oscar that was laying around the studio. Uh, but you've got it. There are several different movies in here. I like the fact that they that that's something I think w- was a cool touch, though, adding the different movies. Oh, because yeah. They give so everyone knows, uh, go, you know, uh, everyone knows about uh, uh, something like uh, Tarzan or something like a uh, uh, uh uh, Wizard of Oz or something like that. You know, that mm-hmm. that's kind of neat. So it's nice to have something that, that is sort of universally known. And plus you get to interact with some of the like the main characters in there. That's kind of cool. You know, like I said, I am I, I told you this when we got this game last week and I first looked at it, I was like, man, I don't know about this. And But I have to say, as far as these games go, I, I kind of dug it, Boat. I'm going to get, yeah. I will say that. I, I, I mean, I would sit down and play this again right now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and not be frustrated by it. And, you know, what I, what I would like to see, and, and maybe this exists because I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the genre, but what I'd like to see is a game just like this, except do away with some of the more annoying aspects. Like, you know, when you're up in the trees and the tree houses and you have to time your jumps against ledges that you can't see because it's a flip screen platformer, like get rid of all that. Give me an inventory system that, that is modern, but keep the sort of core gameplay mechanic of, you know, you're traveling through a 2d world, you're collecting items, you're solving puzzles. I think that would be a pretty fun game. You know, I'd play it. Yeah. You know, before we get to the, the uh, Discord reviews and the reviews, I was, when I was reading the wiki uh, when I pulled some of the information down from this, they have a review here. That they were talking about the Spectre version of this, and they got real good marks, except for one magazine, which I think that one magazine that didn't give it a good mark was... Uh, Spectrum Joker? <laughs> no, no, no. It, I think it was uh, uh, Sinclair User. Mm. And they said that the Spectrum version was a... They, they said that uh, it played with all the style and grace of a drunken elephant. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's that's a great line. 
So, did we get any? Uh, did we get any uh, listener uh, reviews on this one, Boatster? Oh, you know it, man. Uh, we, uh, you know, there are a, a couple dizzy fans among us here yeah. in the Amigos Retro Gaming community. Uh, we start things off with Pixels of Dawn, a big, big dizzy fan. Pix, he says, easy review for me. I finished this in its entirety on the Spectrum, and it's basically ideal, save for the bright, colorful graphics and the jaunty sound. We didn't talk about the sound here, and let's pause that real quick. What did you think of the music in this game? Well, in all honesty, I liked it. Then I tolerated it, and then I hated it. Yeah, same for <laughs> there me. There is no sound. It's all music. Yeah, the, the music, right. I can see why they brought on the big man to do the music, because you've got to have a piece of music that people can tolerate for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And he couldn't do that, but no man can. No. But I will say the tune is good. It's a good tune, but it gets old. Yeah. Okay, back to picks. He says, excellent Disney-style adventure with 101 movie references and a decent spoonful of comedy. No real moon logic here, and often you know exactly what to do with an object as soon as you pick it up. The studio maze is irritating, but 10 minutes with a pen and paper sorts that out. I managed it as an 11-year-old. You can Not for me. <laughs> what dates this is the live system, as always. It's easy to get killed in some places if you don't know the danger. And he mentions the munchkin scene. Water. Uh, see- <laughs> yeah, the water. Uh, Seymour is also far too slow, and traipsing from one place to another can be a chore. Other than those things, I think some sound effects to turn on instead of music would be nice after a while. Regardless, this is a fun game and deserves a playthrough. 8 out of 10. Duncan Stiles writes, Dizzy the Egg replaced by Seymour the Potato. As a Dizzy fan back in the CPC days, this was an instant purchase. A big game with less convoluted solutions to its puzzles. A standard go-fetch type of game lifted above similar titles by the movie references. Its biggest problem is the studio maze and its collection of keys. The Amiga brings bright, cartoon-style graphics, but its abilities are hardly taxed. I think the game suits the 8 bits better, but it's solid enough here. 8 out of 10, or 7 out of 10 if you remove Duncan's nostalgia factor. And finally, Graham W. Vebke, the living legend himself. Dizzy-type games reuse the same object-collecting platform puzzle formula, and I thought, oh no. This game could be as painful as my torn thigh muscle. You will either love this game or you will hate it. I don't like Dizzy games, but I like this. The sound is a little disappointing. The art style is average for the Amiga, but okay, and the playability is quite slow. I believe this was released as a budget title, so I score 6 out of 10, but to upset those annoying Oliver twins, I score it at 12 out of 10. Wow, He's sticking it to them. He buried them right there, Boat. Uh, I will say, looking at the review scores that were uh, in the magazines, people over at Lemon uh, score this one as a 7.55. Amiga Force, which I think we're members of now, Amiga Mm. Force gave this 82%. Amiga Format 77. Our good German pals over at Amiga Joker weren't having it, Boat. 53%. They dropped the ball on this (laughs) thing. Uh, They dropped the ball on the ball here. Amiga Power gave it a 60. So they weren't down Mm. with the clown either. See you, Amiga, give it a 52. These scores are surprising to me. And Remember, one, one of these, one of these, 82. we've got to figure out, maybe somebody in the chat can help us out, which one of the magazine's top score was 60. There was one, and so we need to remember that. Because These are uh, all written in percents, though, Boat. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. I think it's a weird thing. They, they, got, they had a weird thing going on. But they, anyway, they it didn't do. review very well. It probably, 
I don't know if in 92 what sort of the mood was, but it's important to remember that this was a budget title. I think this was what, didn't you say £7.99 or something like that on release? I didn't see a price on this one. I think I read that somewhere. I think it was about £8. If if this is a a budget title and the other Disney games aren't budget titles, then... (laughs) This is even better. I, I, I want to say that all the Dizzy games were 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 budget. I don't think any of those were released. Maybe maybe Treasure Island Dizzy was, but uh, I think even on the Spectrum, I think that they were budget titles. No kidding. I, well, you got me on that one. Um, I looked around on eBay. I didn't see these currently selling. I think the box on this looks great. I should mention that it's it's mm-hmm. cartoony and cool looking. I do. Really, like the box. I think this is a like I said. I'm, the scores fifty twos and sixties. What the heck do they want? I, I guarantee this you. This is your people. This is your I, I guy. Gu- I guarantee you it was people had been playing Dizzy games for 10 years, almost 10 years at that point. Yeah. And when the when the new one brought nothing new to the table, they they, they voted it down. But for some for people like us who aren't, you know, so immersed in Dizzy, it's fine. You know, maybe it's the Amiga punishment because it wasn't cool enough. Right. You know, maybe right. I, it didn't have enough I mean, attitude. Where can was you Kid imagine, Chaos? Can you imagine? And think about this for a minute here as we close this. Okay, it's a 16-bit system. We've got all the power of a Shadow of the Beast or something, right? How could you possibly transfer that to a game like this? I mean, yes, could you have sound effects? Yes. But, I mean, well, does I anyone want to... You just do all the things that Shadow of the Beast did. You put in some parallax scrolling. Yeah, you not... put in some pan flute. Can, there you go. Can you imagine a parallax scrolling, like, metalized, like, cynosified Dizzy game? What would that be? You know, I know <laughs> Dizzy games are colorful, yeah. like for kids with yeah. big dopey. You know, that's and that's another thing too. You know, I think that a lot of reviewers back in the day didn't grasp for the fact that games could be made for different age levels. So if you were a rad, hard edge, seventeen year old dude writing for a games magazine, maybe stop and consider that this game wasn't written just for you. I don't think oh, people man. did that back in the day. Magazine reviewer burial for both. I like it. <laughs> All right, Aaron. So, uh, oh, did you look this one up on eBay? Yeah, remember? No, no dollars. Couldn't no find dollars. Any. Okay, couldn't couldn't remember. Couldn't remember. We want to thank Simulant for choosing this uh, and suggesting it to the Amigos Game Selection Committee. I do have uh, some news to release. I did uh, take a trip to the post office uh, today and uh, deliver all of the Amigos supporter magnets for 2020 with our special Amigos Christmas card. So if you are a supporter, look for that in the mail. Uh, and I uh, hope you will be happy with that. And You reminded 20- me of something, Bo, by the way. Okay, go ahead, man. This came for me today. Oh, yes. yes. Finally, I've got my book from our good buddy Neil over there uh, uh, at the cave, and I'm looking forward to reading this. So it was a long time coming, but I got a very nice mug as well. Awesome. Right here behind awesome. me. So, yes. Very good. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, and, uh, of course, all the new 2021 Amigos Magnets will be coming soon. In fact, they will debut live on our, uh, Amigos New Year Spectacular. Wow, what a draw. I know. <laughs> the magnet come, unveiling. Come all, the, the, man, the magnet <laughs> unveiling. We should put them all over your Amiga and see if it still boots. That would be fun. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, well, it doesn't boot now, so it can't do any worse. Uh, so, next week... Aaron, <laughs> yes, uh, we're going to be playing uh, Traders. Traders is a game chosen by Pixels at Dawn, 
And this is a, it's basically the closest thing to Mule that the Amiga got received. Oh, man. So, so you and hard. I, you and I are both fans of Mule. I might be a little bit bigger fan of Mule than you are, but we both like Mule. So uh, that'll, that'll be fun. Um, and of course, the, uh, we got to thank all the fine, fine folks over on Twitch that subscribe to the Amigos podcast, Aaron. Uh, we have quite, quite a few folks that have uh that have offered us their subscription we appreciate it. we appreciate each and every one of you uh we want to thank rob o'hara dave velociraptor pints and amiga air jury hermsky tom pops aaron tom pops has joined us uh uber scuba diver judge dave dave versus donuts wolfadon skiorn nl jost 80 nagram Christian Russell, Neg Soul, Macintosh Librarian, Mr. Cola, Mitsuyama, Buck Owens, Chris Foltz, Hasifa, Morifumi, Fidarta, Wing Chun Wolf, Still Adolescing, Ten Foil, Aaron, Ten Underscore Foil, whoever that guy is, Loser. Spy Hunter, UK 2016, Ten Mark, Frodo and L, Duncan Styles, Matza, Jigglebox, RMC Retro, Edmund Helland, Piplo, Pixels at Dawn Gaming, Old B. Sturgeon, Al B. Sure, and David Zinaz. Quite a Otherwise list, Otherwise, David Z. in Arizona. Yeah, quite a list. Thank you very much, quite a everybody. List. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And remember, if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can subscribe to Amigos Retro Gaming on Twitch for free. For free, Aaron. Uh, Every you get month. one of those free subs a month. Yeah. Um, all right. And last week, Aaron, we had quite a busy week in the world of the Patreon Song Challenge. Oh, but before we do that, I do need to touch on uh, just a bit of the high score challenge that's going on on our Discord. Uh, right now, we've we've introduced a new game. This new game is called Galactic, the Christmas Edition, and it's selected by the last high score gaming championship winner, Z9K9. Aaron, this game is nutty. Um, it is a shooter that is unlike anything I've ever played before. I guess this was a cover disc game on one Amiga. Uh, everybody that's on Discord needs to try this game out. It is wacky. It's fun. It's a um, space Christmas space shooter. Did I get that yeah, right? Yeah. That is, is wacky, Bode. It is. Yeah, yeah. So, Extremely wacky. It, submit your score, won't you? And then our Specky High Score Challenge this week, uh, the fun continues with Chase HQ. Just some unbelievable unbelievable I, scores i can't figure it out we couldn't catch anybody in that game and we tried yeah. hard we sucked yeah. yeah yeah so mitsuyama just posted a score of five million that is unbelievable i know so i saw we'll that. do some score it. updates for those games next week after we've had a couple more people uh put their score in um now speaking of winners aaron there are five big winners from the patreon song challenge last week well really right. six because you knew this one too absolutely um L. Curtis Boyle, Mitsuyama, Andy Craig, Pac Billy, and Bundy all got it right. The name of the song was Night Moves by Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band. That's right. A very yeah. famous song here in the States. I but still it didn't hear translate. this song. I mean, I hear it literally at least once a week. Whenever I walk into any store, whenever I'm over at the food fair, they're 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 playing night moves. People are singing the song in the aisle. I've they got the night it. moves myself, but and I'm sure yeah. you have them, yeah. I prefer the Liz Lemon variety night cheese myself. Um, so uh, we got a new supporter this week, Aaron, on the Patreon. We want to welcome 
William Vinterscar to the fold. Welcome, yeah, welcome William. Welcome, William. We cool name. You. Yeah. Vinterscar. If that sounds like decide... a cool submarine name or something. It, it does. It's got the umlauts over the A, too. So something you know, that prowls yeah. in the North Sea. Unleash the Vinterscar. That's what I. That's what. That's how I describe Edvin Helland. He's just someone that prowls in the North Sea. So, uh, <laughs> if you feel that the time is right to join your support with all these fine folks on Patreon, you can go over to Patreon.com/slash Amigos Podcast. There's uh, tons of awesome benefits to being a Patreon supporter. You get to participate in the International Computer Club, the High Score Challenges, the Discord, the Magnets. The fun never stops, Aaron. The fun never stops. So. Mm. Um, and it's time for this week's Patreon song challenge. So if you know the name of this song, then please send me an email at john at amigospodcast.com. William Vinterscar, David Bardata, Dog Heavy Systems, Inc., Bundy Frag Lord, Mark Byland, Olaf Hope, Hermsky, Jonah, a.k.a. Simulant, Ethan Little, and Breeder, Dave Velociraptor, Calber Boy, Lane Denson, Luke Hudson, John Cookbomb, the bass, Roshi, Frodo, and L, Soul Incisor, Tech, Major, and Mr. Cola, Daniel Williams, Bernard Lucas, Jerry Dennington, Zorgla, Commodore Kid, Reflection, Simon Ledge, Captain Crispy, Kilobytes and Caffeine, Gary Heather, Free Lunch, Kate Fox, David Pickford, Cameron Armstrong, Andy Jones, Lobster, Nader, 10 Minute Amiga Retrocast. Bernard Quinn, RMC, Tim Drew, Simon Rose, Joseph Harrison, Kyle Edder, Rob O'Hara, Matthew Laramore, Andy Craig, Sean Zobark, Bid, Roland Burke, Andrew Monk, Show the Zombie, Leaf Kellon, Allen Kebab, Chicote Level Lord, John Marshall, Matthew Perrone, Ricky DeRocha, Creepy Dead Boy, Figgis, he's a slow Norris, Stefan Sorgard, Mortensen, Edvin Helen Blender 75, Christopher Hassel, Ravi Abbott, Chris Foles, Lauren Giroux, Graham Bebke, Adam Battersby, O'Brien's Retro and Vintage, Gary Hucker, Paul Harrington, Duncan Styles, Tapes from the Crypt, Josh Nat, Adam Bradley, Jonas Rulo, THT, Eric Nelson, Kim, Tommy Humberchad, Daniel Bingston, Brutal Bear, Darren Coles, Jason Warns, Pixels at Dawn, and Kjolbjorn Barman. Oh, God. That was a song? That was a song. It sounded like you just put song. weird emphasis on every name. And what, <laughs> I mean, what, the, uh, what the hell was that? Where was one, the this, beat and the rhythm and stuff? This one falls into the genre of college music, Aaron. I'm not going to lie to that you. That was the D20 of songs. You just randomly rolled on the <laughs> table and just sang a note. And, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't thank 
all the lovely, lovely people that join us live every Friday night here on twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming. We'll start things off with our moderator, the one and only Duncan Styles. You should have seen him, Aaron. I know that you're you you have to put full attention on everything going on with the show. You are just you're running the control panel. If people saw what you did behind the scenes, they they wouldn't believe it. Their mind would explode. But because I had the luxury of just sort of hanging out and talking to the microphone, I saw Duncan Styles drop the band hammer like nobody's business. He knows how to wield it, and he's not afraid to use Duncan it. So thank you, Duncan Banda sucker. That's right. Oh That's man, right. that guy was a guy who was a troublemaker. He's not coming back. Oh man. Thanks, Duncan. Of course, Duncan. we've also got some fine, fine other people here in the chat. We've got ten minute Amiga Retrocast. Doug is here with us. Abbott Costello, Amiga Gamer. <laughs> 1200 Costello Atten is here awkward aardvark bark bit Bing Cortana probably not a uh, a, a bot uh, we got bristle rich Brock 101 Buck Owens himself uh, commander root uh, droop dog we got Edvin Helland Frodo and L Jigglebox great owl G L Curtis Boyle you know I want to stop right now if anybody if if you're free tomorrow evening and Let's be honest. You're listening to an Amigos podcast. Uh, you're probably going to be free tomorrow. Uh, you need to you check out the audience. If you've never watched Coco Talk, tomorrow is the time to watch it because Curtis is going to be unveiling the latest edition of Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. He's got updates to beat the band. I've been following along with this email chain. Man, there is stuff happening you're not going to believe. I think we're getting some of that sweet action on the International Computer Club as well. That's right. That's right. So if you want to tune in and get sort of the uh, the dumb guy version, check out the ICC. He's going to be he's going to be dumbing it down for you and me. If you want to take a deep dive into the code, check out the Coco Show tomorrow. Listen, if you need everyone needs a double dose of sweet. Woo, sweet Curtis action, and this is your chance. Yeah, that's right. Lord Soup is with us. Macintosh Librarian is with us. Uh, Mitsuyama, Mr. Cola, Nagram, Olaf Hope, Picard 2010. Darosha is here. See this, Ricky? I do love the C64. I adore my C64. Rob O'Hara is here. Super Tech Boy, Tom Toms, VNK Vigoro Pro's Virtuosity 1200, and Wing Chun Wolf. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of Amigos. It's been a fun one. Have you enjoyed yourself, Aaron? I especially liked all the parts where you sounded like a robot. Yeah, yeah. We had some we had some fun times earlier in the stream when my internet was doing its normal thing. So, uh, but luckily, all that has happened. All that's water under the bridge. We're doing good. It's time to close this bad boy out. We'll see you next week for traders. Until then, adios. adios.